But he's going to feel like he had a pretty good week this week. And Lucas, depending on if, if he doesn't win, he'll feel like he had a pretty good week. I mean, do you feel like a loser? Well, I did. I was. Um, I wasn't even first loser either. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. I mean, it's difficult to think of you as a, as a loser, but hey, you're a loser, and good luck next well, week. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Tiger. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Hope you're all having a great week. Didn't get so crazy. That's good. You know, one of the communities that I'm a part of online as well as in person is the uh, cycling community. And, you know, cycling can be really inclusive. I mean, the more the merrier. You know, we all want to see people outside on bikes. You know, more bikes, less cars. You know, it's uh, we don't care what color skin you have, who you pray to, you know, if you like guys or girls or it doesn't matter, you know, it's, if you're a bike rider, you're with us. So this blogger who I know posted a short one paragraph statement condemning what happened at the Capitol a couple weeks ago. And he, he basically, he said that the community he's built does not support terrorism, white supremacy, and the hatred, and that he stands for the rights of all people, not just a selected few. And he got more hate mail than ever for that post. Now, people got downright shitty with him. And you know what they said? Stick to bikes. Leave politics out of it. Now, what's political about human rights? Or civil rights? I swear to God, people have lost their fucking minds. Everything is political now. Even food is political. And I'll talk about food in a bit. All right, so the NFL Divisional Championships are set. Green Bay will host Tom Brady's Buccaneers for the NFC. Kansas City hosts the Bills in the AFC. And that Mahomes concussion was weird. I never saw him hit his head on anything. It just goes to show how violent that game is. Even the impact of a tackle can take you out. I'm hoping he's okay and that he can play. Both of these games are going to be barn burners, man, I'm telling you. Clear your slate next Sunday. It's going to be wild. Both games, slim margins, could go either way. Yeah, so a friend of mine, Charles, is a writer. He's a good one. And he had a feature piece that was published in the Washington Post a few months ago on how the mandatory stay-at-home order here in California and COVID in general has helped him simplify his life and maintain focus on the important things. It ended up actually helping his mental state as opposed to falling prey to what most people fall to. You know, dwelling on the negative aspects, you know, eat you up from the inside. It was brilliantly written and it hit home with me because, you know, I've been looking for the positives in this whole thing since it started and I kept finding some. Well, the first positive, of course, is that I haven't got it yet. You know, I don't let myself get caught up in the hysteria of it. You know, I wear my mask when I'm out in public. I maintain safe distances, but not to the point to where, you know, it's like everyone has a restraining order against me. You know, I live alone. And I'm home almost all the time. Uh, it does get a little monotonous. gets lonely sometimes. So I try to get outside at least once every day. Um, and, you know, even if I'm not seeing someone that I know, I'll, I'll make an excuse to visit the supermarket so I can at least be around people and talk to somebody. 
Well, I hear stories all the time from people who are forced to work from home. And they say things like, you know, I'm with my wife more now. And I never realized just how compatible we are. <laughs> that kind of blows my mind. Because, you know, dipshit, you married this woman for a reason, right? You're just now realizing that you like her? That she's the one? Or they're cooking more, right? They're realizing just how nice it is to cook meals together, spend time at the dinner table, and how much cheaper it is now that you're not going out to eat as often as you were before. Because we focus on the downsides a lot because they affect us and everybody else. And when I talk about not eating out as often, which we have to admit is something everyone loves to do, you know, you're having a professional chef cook for you. Normally you're eating things you couldn't possibly cook yourself. Well, these lockdowns have totally put the screws to independent restaurants. Chains are going to be fine. You know, they're mostly drive through based anyway. They got tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. They'll be fine. But small restaurants, especially here in California, they're close to being decapitated. I mean, I'm, I'm close with a lot of chefs, and I've seen how sad this has become. Some will pivot and change their business model, but some restaurants simply aren't built for the takeout crowd. I mean, they're handing back Michelin stars, sending their cooks and staff out to look for work in a situation where there's no work for the type of work that they do. I know the end's around the corner, but I don't know how much time is left for these people to find a way to rebuild. It's a very depressing situation for them. And I'm close to burnout on finding ways to entertain myself. I'm watching Netflix, you can only read so much. So I'm constantly looking for new creative things to do. And that's why this podcast has become so important to me. You know, it's a project that I can work on every week, express myself, make stupid ass jokes, you know, basically make a fool of myself. And talking online to friends who I've had since the days of my life as a foodie or earlier, that helps. I mean, you're helping me. I just want you guys to know that. And that's why I get so upset when I see violence happening or I read what horrible things are happening around the country. You know, we're going through the toughest period of our lifetimes and there are still going to be people out there. They don't care. They're making it worse. And I don't have sympathy for them because they're not sympathetic to anybody. You get what you give, you know? But when it's all over, we're either going to see a lot of babies or a divorce rate that will break all records. And this is how you test your marriage. You spend all day together for months on end. If you're a match, truly, you're going to be renewing your vows at the end of this. If you're not, well, someone's going to be renting a U-Haul. It's as simple as that. I do know the sex toy business has gone off the rails. Don't ask me why. My Google News feed, I'll see at least one article a week about the hottest new sex toys and how quickly they're selling out. I don't even remember shopping for them online. It made an article appeared once. I clicked on it. Maybe that's why they just keep sending them to me. Anyway, it's definite. People are definitely getting busy in the bedroom. Hey, speaking of writing, some things I see online drive me crazy. I'm not a grammar Nazi. Or I try not to be a grammar Nazi. But you can tell a lot about somebody by looking at how they write. The incorrect use of their and their, your and your. If you're not sure about the use of an apostrophe, just write out you are or they are and take a look at how those words have a completely different meaning from their or your. 
The incorrect use of punctuation, that's another thing that makes it hard for me to understand what people are trying to say. I can't communicate. I, you know, I see no punctuation. Take the colon, for example. A colon can completely change the meaning of a sentence. Here's an example. You can write, Jessica ate her friend's sandwich, period. Or you can write, Jessica ate her friend's colon, period. Just like that. <laughs> oh, seriously, though, I heard a joke that was really off color, but it made a whole lot of sense. You may have heard that, that the NRA is filing for bankruptcy, right? The group said it plans to leave New York. Um, they've been there since 1871, I guess, and they're going to reincorporate as a Texas nonprofit, and they're calling it Project Freedom. I love how they always put like an American name on stuff. Like everybody who doesn't have a gun is not American. So the attorney general in New York filed a lawsuit saying that the leadership um, violated all these laws that govern nonprofits. I guess they were like using the money for personal use and that the leadership had instituted a culture of self-dealing mismanagement. They lost $63 million in three years. They were just filtering money into themselves, uh, into their own accounts. So the joke that I heard basically said that maybe it's a little ironic that the NRA is declaring bankruptcy since schools have gone virtual for almost a year. Also, another plus side of these lockdowns, you know, outside of some gun violence at these protest marches we've seen, there hasn't been nearly as many mass shootings as we're used to seeing on the news, unless they're just not reporting it. I don't know how you sweep that under the rug. Anyway, joke was really horrible off color. I'm not going to tell it, but the irony was, was pretty solid. But man, when that was happening, one day after the next, a couple of years ago, it got really scary. You know, people didn't want to send their kids to school anymore. They were talking about arming teachers, putting up metal detectors in schools, having armed security at every school. I thought, what country are we living in? Now, this was never about gun control. This was about parents not paying attention to their kids. Now, these kids are troubled, and they needed their parents' help. Just talk to your kids. Get to know them. Ask them uncomfortable questions. No one asked you to have kids. Take the goddamn responsibility that comes with having children. Spend time with them. Probably have a lot going on you don't know about. I see a lot of people out there that never should have had children. If they were as good at parenting as they are at fucking and making babies, we'd have far fewer of these mass shootings. And that's a fact. So have you paid attention to the uh, number of commercials for home and auto insurance? I mean, seriously. That's got to be a boom in business. Uh, they are advertising like crazy. And they're expensive. The ads are fantastic. Memorable commercials from Geico, Progressive, State Farm. Just a ton of them. Most of them have like celebrities in it. So you know they're paying like high dollar. Like if I say the name Flo, you know I'm talking about the progressive commercials, right? If I say hump day or guess what day it is, you know I'm referring to the Geico commercial with the camel in it. Now, these are Hall of Fame commercials, much like the, uh, the where's the beef tagline from the old Wendy's commercials. You remember that? That's going way back. But the one that gets me lately are the progressive commercials that feature this life coach who trains people on how not to turn into their parents. Now, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to play a couple of these for you. 
We're at the movies and we need to silence our phone. Who knows where that button is? I don't have silent. Everyone does, right up here. It happens to all of us. We buy a new home and we turn into our parents. What I do is help new homeowners overcome this. Was that an adjustable spanner? Good choice, Steve. Okay, don't forget, you're not assisting him. You hired him. You have nowhere to sit. You have too many. Who else reads books about submarines? My dad. Yeah. Oh, those are... Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Look at that. All right, everyone, we made it. My job is to help new homeowners who have turned into their parents. I'm having a big lunch and then just a snack for so dinner. So we're just... using a speakerphone in this store. Is that a good idea? One of the ways I do that is to get them out of the home. If you're looking for a grout brush. This Garth, is the... did he ask for your help? No. 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 We all see it. We all see it. He has blue hair. Okay. Blue. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Keep it coming. You don't know him. Do you actually know anyone your age? And and by your age, I'm guessing, I don't know, between, say, 40 and 55. Do you know anyone who acts like that? Because I don't. Now, we do eventually turn into our parents when we get older, but not to this extent. Although, when, when people like my aunts and my uncles or my friend's parents started using Facebook... I started the clock, man. I had to get the hell out of there. I thought it was great at first. Look, older people accepting technological advances and they're using a platform, but they ruined it. When you're scrolling through your timeline, you start seeing nonstop photos of people's grandkids or worse, you forget they're on Facebook and they see that, you know, you realize that they can see your posts. You know, that one where you posted something off color or maybe use some nasty words and Suddenly, they're like voicing their displeasure of your sense of humor and, you know, how dare you talk like this? Yeah, it became an issue. But that commercial, though, well, they ought to do. They ought to make one that's actually more real. Like old parents have no filter. They get into strangers' business. They share personal details nobody needs to hear. Now have a middle-aged guy yelling at, at the kids in the car next to him to turn the music down. Or he sees a kid eating a banana. And he says, uh, enjoying that banana, huh? Now wait till you get to be my age. You can't ship for three days. I eat one of those that I can't ship for three days. I ate one of them. The guy walks five steps in front of his wife. Says, yeah, yeah, while she's talking to him. Sees a young couple in love. Yeah, enjoy that. Get to be my age. The only thing stiff will be your after-dinner drink. That would be the commercial. Don't act like your parents. Mom over here is a, a girl on the phone with her mom. Calling your ma, huh? That's nice. My son, complete stranger. Haven't heard from him in a week. Only time he calls, he needs money. Progressive. Don't become like your nosy parents. Yeah, I'm not a nostalgia person very often, man, but once this new cycle started bumming me out, I pulled out all the old DVD sets that I've collected over the years, some of my favorite food series. And the food shows that I watch, probably different than the ones you're used to seeing, Mine are mostly like from PBS. They feature famous chefs or chefs you probably haven't heard of. And they travel around the world, visit farmers and growers, and they go back to their kitchen and prepare the ingredients that they get. And, you know, it's kind of hard to watch now because, you know, you get bummed out. The fact that you're looking at life pre-COVID or pre-pretty much everything that has ruined everything. And some of the restaurants and markets that I see on these shows are probably out of business. People are mingling together without masks on. Lots of hugging. Now, these were produced around 10 years ago or less, but, man, they stand up. Chefs like uh, Jose Andreas, 
Sean Brock, Magnus Nielsen, Eric Repair, my friend Ludo Lefebvre. What makes them special, it's not the recipes, because I'm not a fan of recipes. It's the essence of how they cook. They don't torture food. Now, in Europe, they just don't do that. You see it a lot here. And a lot of American chefs, you know, particularly those who uh, focus on barbecue, they don't torture food. Simplicity, that's the key to cooking. If you buy fresh ingredients, whether it's produce, fresh fish, game, or humanely raised livestock, nature's doing all the work for you. All you have to do is show up. Treat the ingredients with respect, season, lightly cook, or in some cases braise. Dress it with a sauce if you need it. Eat it. I don't know why people are so caught up in cooking things to the point to where they're just destroyed. Vegetables, soft and listless, all the flavor cooked out of them, or things that are charred so heavily that it looks nothing like it did when you started. I'm not saying you should eat everything raw, okay? Just take care in how long things are being cooked so you're getting the full benefit from it. Flavor, nutrients, texture, things like that. I'll give you an example. I have some friends. Uh, they converted to veganism a couple of years ago, and that's very political. I mean, you talk about, you know, animal rights and all that stuff. They did it mainly for health reasons, not to stand on a pedestal and preach about animal cruelty. Well, anyway, I went to their home for a meal. They said we were going to have Chinese. So I had forgotten we were going to eat vegan. We had stir-fried vegetables, some compound vegetables, and rice. As I'm eating the meal, which had no meat in it, it tasted like the typical Polynesian-style Chinese food you're probably used to eating. Flavors were there, crunchy textures, perfectly balanced, and I completely forgot that the meal didn't have meat in it. But it also tasted fresh. A few days later, I tried it at home. I picked a few ingredients, broccoli, onion, bell pepper, carrots. I chopped everything into bite-sized pieces, sautéed lightly in a little olive oil, not too long. I like my vegetables with some bite in them. Added some store-bought stir-fry sauce, sautéed about a minute longer, took it off the heat, served it over rice. Perfect. I was eating something familiar, lots of fresh flavors, not raw, and it was healthy. Outside of the MSG load. (laughs) That sauce, man, MSG will send your blood pressure to the danger zone if you do this stuff too often. But it's about simplicity. And when it comes to cooking, it's my number one suggestion to people who ask me to teach them how to cook. Don't overthink it. Don't add too many ingredients. Sauce after sauce, 10 elements in a dish. You're prepping and cooking for well over two hours to achieve a dish. These are the things that run novice cooks out of the kitchen because they simply try too hard. And like I've said so many times before, nature does most of the work for you. All you have to do is show up. I haven't tried any of these services like HelloFresh or Blue Apron, but I suspect that the reason why these meals work is because of the simplicity of it. You're cranking out a meal in less than 30 minutes. That's an indication to me that they're, they're not making things difficult for people. And while these old food shows that I like to watch are professional chefs who know what they're doing, I understand that what works for these guys is their confidence in their abilities and the confidence in the ingredients that they're buying. It's hard to fuck up a salad, all right? But you can achieve it in two ways. Overdress it or underdress it. That's a small thing. But it's always the small things that are overlooked because they're taken for granted. So, to anybody who wants to get better at cooking, I say keep it simple from the very beginning. And talk to the people who sell the ingredients that you're buying. If you go to the farmer's market 
Or if the produce guy's there, ask him, what do you recommend I do with this? If they grew it or raised it, you might have a pretty good idea what works and what doesn't. Like take nigiri sushi, for example. It's a thick slab of cooked rice with a raw piece of fish on top. Two ingredients, nothing else. It's the perfect meal. You can eat it with your hands. The rice, most often seasoned with uh, a mix of rice wine vinegar and a little bit of sugar. And that's it. Sushi chefs know what they're doing because they rely on the freshest fish they can find. And that fish contains all the flavor that it needs. It doesn't need to be sauced or seasoned or anything else unless the chef thinks it needs to be swiped with something or you know topped with something. If you ever go into a high-end sushi restaurant, you're getting the best fish possible. And that's what I mean when I say rely on your ingredients. Walk up to the seafood counter at your local market. If it smells like rotting three-day-old garbage, get the hell out of there. That fishy smell that people talk about, that's not fish you're smelling. That's fish that's gone bad. Bacteria start setting in fairly quickly after fish has been killed and not frozen right away. Fresh fish should smell like ocean air, not the pier or three-day-old underpants. Some fish have a fishy smell on their own, but most of those usually aren't sold in your local market. Yeah, so uh, HBO released a two-part documentary on Tiger Woods recently. And if you're a fan of tigers, there's a lot in it that's just hard to watch. You watch his rise, his fall, then his comeback in winning the 2019 Masters. It's the fall that's hard for me to watch. I don't like hearing intimate details of anyone's life. I'm not a fan of paparazzi, gossip rags, or any of that shit. I know people say all the time, well, that's the price of fame. But I don't buy into that. That's an excuse people use because they're nosy and they're jealous of their, you know, famous people's uh, success and fame. Believe me, if you were famous, you wouldn't be saying that. Well, that's the price of my fame, I guess. Come on in. You know, take a look at my bedroom. No. If you're familiar with Tiger Woods, you know about his downfall already. He got caught by his wife, who had learned he'd been having an affair. Uh, I guess he was addicted to Ambien, couldn't sleep without it. So he takes some, crashes, and while he's sleeping, his wife, who suspects something, checks his phone and sees a bunch of texts. So she wakes him up, and he's drugged out on Ambien, starts chasing him around the house with a golf club. He gets in his car, half asleep, tries to get away from her, crashes into a tree. They call 911, it goes public. Then all these chicks start coming out of the woodwork, saying that uh, they'd slept with him too. I think there were 11 of them. So he gets a divorce. His wife gets a $100 million settlement, has to sign an NDA. She can't say nothing. But the part I found intriguing, which I didn't know about, was... um, Actually, hold on a second. Let me go back. Let me step back. I got ahead of myself. Tiger's father, Earl Woods, was another Joe Jackson. He drove this kid to be the golfer he became. All right, it was golf and school and nothing else. Couldn't even have a girlfriend because his parents didn't want him screwing up his life. You know, get a girl pregnant and it's all over. He was going to be the best golfer in the world someday. He was going to put African Americans on the world map of golf. And that was it. But beyond golf, his father had a much larger impact that led to his eventual downfall. How would you describe your relationship with your father? He is my best friend. And no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He is my best friend. 
but he's much older than you. That's all right. You still have a best friend who's 61. Tiger absolutely idolized his dad. He loved his dad. Golf was their connection, and they had spent a lot of time doing that together. There it is. There it is. Perfect. Good boy. He's my best friend. But he's your son. But he's my best friend. They were buddies. But he needed his dad. He didn't need another friend. That was forgotten in that relationship. And Earl crossed boundaries that he shouldn't have crossed. To any of you who don't know the Tiger story, once Tiger won the Masters in 97, then went on to win almost nonstop when it came to major tournaments, he became obsessed with chasing Jack Nicklaus's record of 18 major uh, tournament wins. He became uh, a household name. You said Tiger, people knew who you were talking about. He signed this lucrative endorsement deal with Nike, Wheaties, Buick, it was a bunch Rolex or something. I can't remember. There was a lot. He was a brand. Tiger was a brand. So when he found out this dark secret about his dad, he distanced himself from him. We just started to notice you didn't see his dad at tournaments that much anymore. But you never really knew why. Gosh. You know, I love this guy. Earl was a great, great dad. But... I don't know how to smooth this one over. I assure you that we were not the best role models when it came to honoring your marriage. I assure you. This is a tough one. Yeah. Hang on, give me two seconds. I gotta collect my thoughts. Shit. He's not gonna like this shit at all. Earl had this little Winnebago and we'd let him teach on the range and he somehow would teach very attractive blonde women. I never, I never figured out where he met these women. And often, you know, after the lesson, they'd go into the Winnebago for cocktails. And You know, Tiger was at the course. You know, and I was just every bit as bad. I mean, for a long time, me and Earl were the two biggest male figures in his life, the two closest to him. And, you know, and here I am (laughs) chasing skirts and bringing him to the course, and he's seeing this. Yeah, yeah, and I was married, too, at the time, and he's seeing this. Yeah. You know, to have that kind of access to this child's development and, and expose him to that, it's just, it just, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, champ. Sorry. Tiger's first girlfriend plays a pretty prominent role in this doc. And his life pattern becomes pretty clear the more you hear her stories. He spent the night at her house once and, uh, When he got home in the morning, his parents flipped the fuck out on him, told him he was going to ruin his life if he got serious with this girl. So they made him write a letter to her saying that she was using him and that he didn't want to see her anymore. And this is how Tiger went on to live his life. He'd turn you off 
and you'd never hear from him again. Sometimes you wouldn't even get a letter or a text. Just blocked and done. I actually know or knew someone that Tiger did this to. My brother worked in the sports department at the Orange County Register in the 80s. He was close friends with uh, one of the sports writers that worked there, John Stregge. And my brother always called him the Golden Bear after Jack Nicklaus. But anyway, apparently... John was close to Tiger and his family in the early 90s. Often wrote stories about Tiger, uh, you know, as a favor to the family. And Tiger lived here, you know, in Southern California, and they were trying to increase the kids' exposure. So he was so close with the family that he and his wife would have dinner at their house. So I guess John wrote a book about Tiger, a biography, and that didn't sit well with Tiger. He saw this as someone trying to make a buck off of him instead of being a good friend to him. So it turns out, Streggy had asked Earl for his blessing in the writing of the book after Tiger had turned pro, and Earl said, yeah, sure, go for it. In fact, his mom even gave Streggy access to scrapbooks that she'd been putting together as Tiger was growing up. He knocks his book out in three months, sends a copy to Tiger's parents and Tiger, never hears back from anybody. Cold shoulder. Couldn't get through. Tried time and time again finally gets to Tiger's agent and his agent tells Streggy that he'd been cut off from the family, just like that. Persona non grata. So a photographer who, you know, worked with Streggy was trying to bridge the gap between them had asked Tiger if he'd read the book, saying it was a really good story about him. You know what Tiger's response was? Fuck John Streggy. This was all influence from his father. And that led to some pretty dark shit. I mean, any child having to witness that and know what's happening, it's not right. It's just not right. And, um, you know, that made a huge impact on his life. When Tiger and I were still together, he would travel in the summer for tournaments with his dad. And he called me one time, and I will never forget He was sobbing on the phone, uncontrollably. I couldn't even understand what he was saying. He was so upset. He, you know, finally caught his breath and, you know, said, my dad's out again. He met this girl and they're going out. The sound of Tiger's voice was so upsetting. I wanted to crawl through the phone and just take care of him. I've never heard somebody in my life so upset. And his dad, I don't think, really cared that he knew it. Um, I think that also bothered him. Like, why would you not try to hide this from me? Why, why would you just, you know, let me see this? Tiger's mom was a loyal, good mother, and he absolutely loved her. So there was an anger there with his dad but he could never show it. He could never express it. He had to keep that in. And it changed the relationship with him and his dad. Did he still idolize him and love him? Absolutely. But it changed. It it changed. So no shock when we stopped seeing his father around at tournaments, right? His dad must have finally drawn the straw that broke the camel's back and his balls. This was a complete shutdown. I almost wonder... If he shut his father out of his life entirely, like he was trained to do with everybody else. Because Tiger couldn't associate with his dad, 
with all that he had on the line would ruin him. People would wonder why he'd look the other way when it came to his dad's philandering. Now, you used to appear more at, at tournaments than you used to. Is it strictly a health thing? You've had eight bypasses. You've battled prostate no, cancer. No, it isn't health. Uh, if you noticed, Tiger's grown up. Tiger's handling his life by himself. And that was the original game plan. Earl was a human being with all the foibles and faults. He had uh, girlfriends, and they became messy. It was going to become public, and Tiger went out of his way to make sure that nobody knew what was going on with Earl. The womanizing, the drinking. Tiger did not want any shadows on his brand. He did not want any shadows on his foundation. It drove Earl and Tiger apart at the very time that they probably should have been together because Earl was finally starting to show his age and fragility. What's the most important thing that he taught you? Patience and understanding. What's the most important thing in raising children? What's the one bit of advice that you can give the fathers and the mothers out there? You have to earn their trust and their respect. Uh, I have a phrase that love is a given trust and respect are earned. You have to earn it. During that period, I don't think they were able to spend as much time as they had before. Tiger had his own life to try to live, and he moved on. Earl Woods, Joe Jackson, the shit out of his son. But unlike the king of pop, king of golf said, adios, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) And I wonder if he didn't regret that over time because, you know, his father passed away not long after Tiger had won another major. And then the next time he won the Masters after his dad passed away, he hugged his caddy and cried like a baby all over his shoulder. And you can see his caddy just trying to break the embrace, but his Tiger is holding on for dear life, crying. It was really sad. Tiger's on HBO Max now. It's a big investment in time. It's about three hours. Uh, It's in two parts, but there's a lot of personal detail that I didn't need, like I said. But um, I thought this part about his dad was the most telling and explains a lot about why Tiger fell as hard as he did. You know, sex addiction, drug addiction, horrible stuff. And that's the show for this week. Special guest next week, our first in-studio guest. I'm excited. You're going to be excited. Don't miss that. It's going to be a blast. Until then, my name is Phil. This has been Inane. Cheers.